Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hello and welcome to Off The Beat and Track Podcast. I'm Stu Whiffin, I'm your host. I hope you're doing well. It's another week, therefore it's another episode. This week's guest, Stone Cold Rave Royalty. It's a Damsky and it was a cracking chat. Uh, Adam come to uh, my little office in London and we had a really good chat. And uh, knowing what Adam had done throughout his career, I knew that the the conversation wasn't going to be based around um, electronic music. I knew that there was a, a huge love of uh, of punk and, and, and all sorts of other stuff that led up to, to um, him coming into the sort of public domain uh, at the tail end of the, the 80s and early 90s. Um, before we get on with the episode, um, big thanks to Mr. 76 for producing the podcast. I should say now that um, if you're hearing some like whirring noise in the background, it's not on the podcast, it's just this intro. I'm, I'm inside this like tiny little booth actually recording this, so uh, don't worry about the uh, the whirring noise if you can hear it. It won't be on the uh, the epi- episode itself. Um, so thanks to 76 for producing this. Um, big thanks to uh, Ben Berlin for letting me use the space to record in. And I would also like to say massive thanks to Scribius Pip and the Distraction Pieces Network for letting me put this podcast out uh, in such great company. Uh, if you like this podcast, I also have a Patreon page where you can go and get another episode each week. Um, so please head over to Patreon and search Off The Beaten Track Podcast and you will find how you can get involved over there. Um, there's also merch and there's all sorts of stuff. And the, the one-stop shop for all of this is actually um, off the beaten track podcast.com. So just go and have a look at that. And if you're in even more of a mission to hear more podcasts, there's a guide, www.podbiblemag.com. Go and check out Pod Bible because it's your one-stop shop for everything podcast-related. Uh, all your favourite podcasts are talking about what they like, what they listen to. We've also got a podcast that accompanies it as well, so go and check that out. The hosts are me, uh, Adam Richardson, Scribius Pip, and all your favourite podcasters are on there. Um, so, yep, go and check out Pop Bible as well. I think that's me done plugging stuff. Let's get on with today's episode. Please enjoy Off The Beat and Track podcast with the wonderful Adamski. I've got an announcement. Save Our Souls Clothing, www.sosclothing.co.uk. Why am I telling you this? Because they're our official sponsor. Yeah, that's right. Go and check them out because their clothing is off the scale. You're going to love it. So they've decided they want to be our sponsor, which is amazing. And what I have to do 
is I have to tell you about why they're amazing. So here's a little bit of blurb. So they've only been going a year. And they're based in South End on Sea, just up the road from me. They put the company together based on a, a love of tattoos and alternative music. And they've worked with some of the greatest artists around the world to produce these items of clothing that are as unique as you lot. All of the designs are printed using biodegradable, sustainable and water-based inks. In addition to that, they only print on garments made by members of Fairware Foundation. I mean, come on, great clothing and a conscience. Since going live in April last year, they've seen their audience grow massively and are now selling orders all across the world. And they were recognised by Cosmopolitan magazine as one of the best sustainable clothing brands alongside names such as Stella McCartney. I mean, that's quite a first year, right? So, go and check them out because they've put a lot of love into supporting this podcast and I couldn't be happier. What else they've done is they've given you 15% off. So if you head over to www.sosclothing.co.uk, do a bit of shopping, see what you like, throw it in the basket, and then on the way out, put in the discount code BEAT15, B-E-A-T-1-5, and that'll save you 15% off. Amazing, right? www.sosclothing.co.uk official sponsors of Off The Beat and Track podcast. Let's get back to that podcast. It's Off The Beat and Track podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. With me, Stu Whiffin. Okay, we are recording. We are at the WeWork building in East London and sitting opposite me today is Adamski. Hello, Stu. You all right? Yeah, good times. So yeah. we've, we've had a little chit-chat and we've... Um, we have met before. Um, Adam come and DJ'd at the Queen of Hoxton for me about seven years ago. That's right. Um, and we've had sort of chit-chats of, of, of kind of... Uh, well, you, much the same as my guest last week. You got lost yeah. as well around yeah, the corner. Yeah, Google Maps right. is just terrible, really. <laughs> um, yeah. But first and foremost, thank you so much for giving up some time and coming in and having a chat. I really appreciate it, mate. My pleasure. And... We always start this with track one, mm -hmm. which is the song that you think's got the greatest ever intro. That would be Human Fly by The Cramps. That's a great record. Yeah. I love that record. I've even opened sets with it. I played at um, the Womb Club in Tokyo and I actually just opened my set. It was like an electro sort of night. And yeah. That's quite incongruous, but... Did it um, work? Yeah, it did. Yeah, yeah. And they and when the the Japanese they really show their enthusiasm, you know. So it's quite a nice mm. buzz, 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 buzz. And it's just because yeah, it's part of the lyrics. I just remembered as I said it. Um, yeah. In regards to intros, um, as 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 somebody that's probably more known for making electronic music, um, obviously the. Cramps are pretty much a sort of rockabilly, psychabilly, I guess, kind of punk band, I, I imagine. Mm. Um, the intro's superb on that, but what I'm, I'm, I'm also interested in, I like to ask guests, um, when you're making music, mm. how much emphasis do you put on the intro? Like, Because with electronic music, I guess, a lot of the... 
it's very different from perhaps. Well, well, do you know what? I'm loading you with with, with, with questions here. What I guess I'm, I'm, I want to know is going back to when there may have been label pressure mm. to to make something for mm. a more mainstream pop audience. Mm. What you know was there consideration on the intro there to get it on radio and c- compared to what you're doing now, maybe what you were doing before you had sort of chart success, like. How do you sort of... Well... Do you know where I'm funny, going with it, Yeah, I do. But yeah. funny you should ask, because nowadays it can be that I make a track and it's I've got all these different elements and loops and I'm like, oh, what shall I start with? But in actual fact, when I signed my big deal 30 years ago this year, um, it was uh, the two biggest tunes that came out of it, my two most well-known tunes... Um, one of them, Energy, um, which I'm currently re-releasing, you know, updated versions for the 30th anniversary, that tune, I actually just put my sequencer in record, shut my eyes and just hit my fingers and just to see what would happen. And it, it's kind I think that's like the Brian Eno approach to, yeah. you know, letting things write themselves yeah. and the sort of punk rock approach yeah, completely. of like not virtuo, being virtuoso yeah. musician. But I actually feel like because that riff served me so well, like I think that's the riff that got me booked to all those seminal raves, got me booked to play in Amnesia. Um, in Ibiza for the opening party in 89, which was quite a big deal in those days. I suppose it still is, but then it was like, you know, oh, it's the best club in the world. It was really, really exciting. But um, that that's the riff I think people recognise me by. That was like my sort of character signature riff. It was my introduction to you. And it got me, you know... It got me bookings all over the place, which culminated in a big record deal. And that was the intro on the record that I ended up performing, miming to, yeah. on top of the pops and and stuff. And that, so in that intro then was, and, and I feel, yeah, okay, I made, I put it in record and just like went with my fingers but I kind of feel it might sound like pretentious and stuff but that I was kind of anointed like the universe fuck it the universe put that riff in my little chubby nicotine stained fingers (laughs) (laughs) and 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 the same thing happened with the killer bass line that was a bit more I I don't think I had my eyes shut and it might have been a bass line that Mm. actually came into my mind and I worked out the notes and played it into the sequencer. But the same, that was the intro of that record too. And that's the bit that, you know, if people recognise me on the street, which they not don't really anymore, but they just, you know, I'll get gangs of school kids going, dum, 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 dum. You know, they don't sing me the seal bit. Yeah. They, they all, that's the bit. And it, yeah. actually, even um, that girl band, what are they called? The big girl band. Uh, Spice Girls? No, Sugar Babes. Sugar Babes. They did a cover of that song. And they were even, like, all of the, the girls were actually singing the bass line, kind of yeah. going, dum, 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 da, dum, dum, dum. So those two intros, um, they were just as they came out of my brain or the universal, a combination of both. But 
yeah but now i'm i can sit there for like days like going oh shall i start with this beat or shall i start with this little riff or shall i start with yeah. this noise or and what are your considerations when you're doing that though like should i start with that for, for what reason is it you know, to, 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 to hook people quickly in a world um, of, of Shazam and, and mm. Spotify where there's so much choice, where people are easily distracted. Are, are you trying to hook people in quickly or...? Uh, I don't. It's more about, like, personal pleasure, really. Yeah. Um, I've just remade Killer with Boy George singing. I'm, I'm releasing it next year for the 30th anniversary of that. And it's a little mini album called Free to Kill Again. Right. And I've got Boy George doing a version, Nina Hagen doing a version. You've worked with Nina before, haven't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Way back when yeah. um, we had a record out together in 92 or something. But she's done a version, George has done a version, which I'm co-producing with Adrian Sherwood. Amazing. He, he's a really good mate and lives just around the corner from me. And, and you'd worked with him previously as well, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I met him because I toured on, I went, on tour with our new sound in japan in the early 90s playing keyboards for mark stewart oh, really? who wouldn't tell me any of the songs until we were actually on stage and i didn't know any of his songs and so i was just make, improvising making noise with yeah. a couple of synths and adrian was mixing it luckily so it sounded amazing yeah. like could have, could have like burped and yeah have sounded good through adrian's Wonderful. processing but um but anyway, George only wanted to do it when he was, oh, I, don't, I said, would you be into redoing Killer? And he's like, oh, I don't think I could. I, don't, I couldn't really do it. And, and then, you know, we were have, actually having a meeting about something else. And then, um, and then when he realised I'm mates with Adrian and, and, like, do bits and bobs with Adrian, um, he was, like, saying, I've always wanted to work with Adrian, but I think he thinks I'm too much of a poofter. And I was like, <laughs> I don't think Adrian thinks like that. He's yeah. not, I don't know what, what do you know. So, um, so I, within about four days, uh, George was down in our new sound studios oh, with me and Adrian, and it was really good fun. And yeah. But I said to George, because he is a great writer of, like, pop things... Um, you know, historically, he I said, like, treat the original chorus of Killer like that's a kind of pre chorus bridge build up to the real chorus, so it kind of goes up a level. And he's come up with this line about burning, and it's like, it's like he's uh, what do you call it? Philosopher, no, not so good. Uh, oh, god forgotten the word you know when you see the future mm. and it's just like weeks before this massive catastrophe of the amazon jungle burning at twice the rate it was burning last year and everything is burning and that's like his line and it's sort of like everyone that's done a version has it's got a new sort of update to the concept as well as you know it's yeah. all it's like my original bass line with the same sound even i talk a lot don't i I'm talking a lot that's the idea of it mate. <laughs> <laughs> that's a okay. okay i just thought you might be wanting to get a word in edgeways no but, mate um, keep talking uh um uh, now I've forgotten what I was talking about. Um, no, Georgie's vocals. Yeah, well, all all the people that have done versions as people that aren't so known as George and Nina Hagen um, have done versions too, like young people. <laughs> oh, that's, that, that sounded terrible. But, 
<laughs> younger people. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and uh, and uh, but every well the Nina version she did a record in the eighties. Uh, that was like a sort of vegetarian anthem okay. and it was um, Don't Kill the Animals with Lena Lovitch and I think it was always on MTV I think it might have got in the pop charts mm. it's probably her most successful record in the UK she's German by the way for your listeners who don't know who I'm mm. talking about she's sort of the German godmother of punk absolutely um, uh, so uh, and I just I was walking the dog and that song came to my mind when I was kind of working on that song at home, editing her vocals and stuff. Don't kill the animals, the animals are free. And I went back and I just sampled a little bit and that fitted in. So it's sort of like the message on her version is like, well, I'm I'm like a uh, committed vegan. So it's like, for me, it's updated my whole thing. That that one, the message is about, um, you know, don't kill the animals, literally, don't kill the animals. Yeah. Uh, the George one is about, like, you know, um, the uh, environment and the climate c- disaster that's mm. going on as we live and breathe. Um, and uh, there's going to be another one, that's more the emphasis on the freedom of the... Uh, the LGBT, yep. <laughs> that community. Yeah. That even though I'm actually a heterosexual, yeah. I feel like I'm part of that community because yeah. I've always sort of uh, been a kind of is, or, is he or isn't he sort of person. Yeah. Even my mum said, well, I've got four sons and if any of them were gay, I know it would be you. You know, <laughs> that I, I sort of roll with that community, yeah. you know, and... Uh, and um, so it's, you know, it's kind of updated. The message of freedom it had back then was just that what was going on at the time, yeah. you know, the black and white unite, the raves were bringing all the races and classes yeah. together as never before. Um, you know, football hooligans hugging with hooray Henry's mm. and people from you know all different like colors and creeds and i want to get to that this, was though, that I message i know? really want to get to this yeah. from when we get to your songs that soundtrack you can your, edit all that your, your, no <laughs> i don't edit these i don't edit these um i want to really elaborate on on what was happening when when that happened because it, it felt like a good age for me as well to experience mm. that um so let's go back first uh, to the first song you remember hearing that had an emotional impact on you the first record well mm. i that was a tough one because I couldn't. I was thinking, what sort of em- emotion do you mean? You know, because there's like, you know, do you mean a record that made me sad or a record that made me happy and elated or burst into tears? I mean, I can remember um, sitting having a, a boiled egg like before school, and I think I was late for school and. Boogie Nights by Heatwave was on the radio. And for some reason, that record always makes me feel like I'm late for school and I'm having a boiled egg. And so maybe it was that. But really, if I think about a song that made me sad, you know, with the lyrics and the kind of melody was um, Ernie uh, by Benny Hill. And he drove the fastest milk cart in the West. Yeah. Because, you know, like Ernie the Milkman in that song 
dies, you know, and it's and it's got these the strings are brilliant. I reckon I could actually chop that up and make a kind of banging tune out. I'd yeah. have to take the Benny Hill bit off. Yeah, he's sort of rapping, isn't he? Yeah. He's like Benny Hill's one of like the first rappers, really. That was yeah. like way before like Sugar Hill Gang, mm. and maybe not before the Last Poets. Mm. And it's sort of got a bit of a you know different message. Yeah. <laughs> I've got another one on here as well. Yeah. You sent two over. Uh-huh. Can you remember the other one? Was it um, Children of the Revolution? Mm. Again, that's about the strings. It's just, I, I love strings, mm. you know. And, uh, um, um, it, yeah, it's, a, it's a, an emotive song. I love Mark Boland. My, brother, my oldest brother, you know, had all the, like, T-Rex posters. Like, there was three of us in the bedroom and the oldest one had all the glam rock posters and stuff um above his bed and it was like oh you know i just i i was so into pop music from as long ago as i can remember and i mean the 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 stars of glam whether that be t-rex bowie slade the other one you're not meant to talk about anymore Like, they all looked incredible, didn't they? As yeah. pop stars, like, yeah. just visually, it, it was so stark and yeah. exciting. And if yeah. you're young, then yeah. that must have been something yeah, to be There was a lot of silver going on. Brian yeah. Connolly, the lead singer from The Suite, with yeah. a silver suit and long blonde hair. Um, uh, well, there was, yeah, the one we won't mention anymore, Kitty Fiddler. Um, it's very unfortunate about all that vile. Um, uh, and, uh, well, you know, Roy Wood <laughs> yeah. with, with his coloured beard. Uh, and um, obviously I've, I like that sort of thing. <laughs> Adam's got a, a very blue uh, set of eyebrows and beard at the moment. Um, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, and big platform boots. And I, I just think that the... the visual thing was always part of it nowadays not that many people make an effort even if they do it's just some stylist has yeah. gone all you know wear a dress made out of meat and we'll get you on yeah. the, all the tabloids and all the blogs and everything yeah. it's not really you know you used to get these maverick characters that that i know, i don't know actually maybe they did have stylists all those glam rock bands not the not the proper like pioneers like Bowie and Bolan and I think yeah. you know they were just stylish people they yeah. started out as mods in the 60s and just evolved and completely uh, yeah and uh, so sharing a brother with two uh, sharing a room with two brothers yeah did you have access to sort of their record collections at, like growing up was there a stereo in the room was you listening to now this I can't really remember because I was only like four mm. um Later on, yeah, we used to share, like, the family record player was one of those big wooden ones that mm. was also... Like a sideboard. Yeah, also a drinks <laughs> yeah. cabinet and stuff. And uh, and that was, you know, that was a bit odd. It had my dad's classical albums and and uh, a few, like, uh, Herb Albert and the Tijuana Brass. <laughs> and, and then, yeah, one of my brothers, like, sort of disco and and ABBA and stuff actually the whole family liked ABBA when we we go on a, like a car journey that was the one thing that the whole family kind of liked you know ABBA used strings really cleverly didn't they 
They used what, sorry? Strings very cleverly. Yeah. And you also mentioned that, you know, the, the, the classical albums. Do you think that, that kind of early exposure to, to string sections and that maybe, maybe made its mark? I think it did, yeah. I mean, we're always... I think people are always influenced by their parents as much as they don't... Um, you know, I wouldn't have really even admitted that to myself a few years ago but I think that I was lying in bed with um, my dad used to blare his classical music you know he used to sit in his in the living room with the music on really loud and you know having his cigar and his whiskey and and I think it just went into my mind I'd fall asleep to it and then from the age of about nine, I would be listening to like John Peel mm. and transits to. Well, I started Radio Luxembourg and then I discovered John Peel and I'd be listening to John Peel under the pillow and, and absorbing all that. And then at school, I was like with my mates, I was more into like the more overground pop music. And well, let's, was, let's, let's go there then because track three, I always. Um, Ask guests what song reminds them of school. Uh, I've forgotten what I put. Gangsters. I I put Gangsters by The Specials, who were then called The Special, a.k.a., because that that came out in the summer... Well, I think it came out. I first heard it in that summer holidays between junior school and secondary school, and it was a massive thing. That was the summer of 1979. Where was you living then? I was living in the New Forest, where I grew up. Um, and when you go to secondary school then you meet all these kids from all the other little junior schools in all the surrounding villages and whatever and um, and uh, my little gang of mates we all sort of bonded over the uh, our, um, our over two-tone you know the 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 uh, the two-tone scene that kind of began with that record, really. That's when it came into public consciousness, I think. I think I probably heard it on John Peel that summer, and then by the time I'd started school in September, it was probably on, you know, BBC. I mean, oh, John Peel was Radio 1, but, like, you know, daytime daytime Radio 1, and it was... It was, yeah, I think it was the first record I ever danced to in public because they had a, like a disco for the first years, that Christmas, you know, and I was sort of like uh, dancing along, it, it, you know, at lunchtime in, uh, in the school disco thing. Uh, uh, did you enjoy uh, school? Did I? Not, mostly not, but I suppose there were some good, times um i enjoyed like sitting in the back of the class talking to girls about hair and makeup and records really Mm. i did enjoy that though i could have done without it i'd have rather been like at home like playing my guitar or anything else so at this point like uh, say you're i guess you're like 11 or 12 then when you're um the, the, the two tones exploding, um, and uh, you know, and you, you, you're listening to John Peel, which is, which is, is which is quite intense for for a young boy to be listening to Peel because Peel was playing some very exp- experimental stuff, and you know, up and, and still did until the day passed. But yeah. um, 
Was you deconstructing the music and was you look at thinking and working out how it was put together if you was already sort of doodling with a guitar and things like that? Uh, no, what, no, it always seemed beyond me actually. Like all, music always had this mysticism, like it just seemed beyond anything I'd be able to do. But on by the same token, I think the whole thing about punk rock and the DIY thing and John Peel actually did play some records that were recorded on a tape recorder. And when you was how old? Uh, well, I, yeah, I made one when I was 11. Yeah, I mean, that's a, pretty impressive, right? Yeah, precocious is the word, and I, but I, don't, I didn't think, even think so at the time. I just thought, spirit of the times, that's what you do. You, yeah. If you want to make a record, you just make it. So I could just about play guitar and... I made this record, I coerced my little brother into being my singer and we had a band called The Stupid Babies, sent a cassette off to a, a label which I didn't really know then but was like the hippest post-punk label in Britain <laughs> and, uh, and who released the first stuff by The Human League and Joy Division and and DAF, uh, Deutsche Amerikanische Freundschaft, who are very influential on, on the techno thing and on me. Um, and I sent a cassette and they just sent back a contract, which my parents had to sign because we were under 18. And um, I think I signed away all my rights in perpetuity because there's a couple of people that occasionally still play that song on like... Um, Radio 6 and stuff, but I don't know who gets the, like, royalties, <laughs> but I'm going to find out. That's, it's, that's, that record's 40th anniversary this year, wow. and uh, Energy, my first sort of known as a Damsky outing, is its 30th anniversary. Um, haven't got anything of note for 20th anniversary. Hello. I've interrupted the podcast again, haven't I? Sorry, it won't take a sec. All I want to say is, the songs that we're talking about in this podcast, if we can't play them, it's just because of the regulations regarding playing licensed music and such. So if you want to hear the songs... Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. 
Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Just go over to Spotify and search Off The Beat and Track Podcast and you can listen to all the songs because I've put playlists up for each of these. If you can't find it on there, I'll send links on all the social media accompanying each episode. So you've just got to press that one button and you can go through and you can enjoy all the songs that our guest picks. Anyway, I'll shut up, get back to the podcast. See you on the other side. So how does that affect a, a young boy that's all of a sudden getting written about in music papers and getting played on the radio? I mean, that, that's... I don't know any other kid of that age that that's ever happened to. Like that must be quite a bizarre feeling. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was. Um, well, I don't know because I don't know how boys that hadn't done that felt. If yeah. you see what I mean, I mean, like um, that is what I did, and I began school with all the sort of big skinheads from the third year and the fourth year wanting to be my mate because yeah. I. I was in smash hits and on, but I wasn't like a pop star. It was just a little, you know, thing. But um, when I was like much older in the early nineties, I went to a party and Susie Sue was there and uh, she was like, Oh, I've always wanted to meet you. And I was like, what, you know, how strange, like why? <laughs> and uh, she said she used to have that record in her handbag and used to pester DJs to play it. Really? When she went to clubs. So that was like the most flattering thing anyone's How ever incredible. said to me, I think. Yeah. So, mm. Which, obviously, you was a very creative kid then uh, at school. And, and I mm. guess, you know, at that point, punk was all about that, that DIY, you know, do mm. what you can with what mm. you've got at your mm. disposal. Mm. Was your creativity encouraged at school uh i'd say not really no um no i, I mean the music lessons like i'd get an e or something cuz I, I was probably disruptive and i when we had to listen to Peer Gint and tell you if it was in a minor or major key or whatever, yeah. I'd be a bit like, "Oh fuck off!" Yeah. But, and I, but then one year, um, there was the like little classroom that was the music room, and there was a little room in the back with a with a piano and a box of like shakers and maracas and triangles and tambourines and whistles and stuff. And I got about six mates you know we had to group off and like come up with something and i was just playing these two chords on the piano pretty much what i still do <laughs> and uh and i got all these guys doing different parts with the different little instruments and and then the teacher was really impressed mr harris then he had a heart attack and died not because of that <laughs> but probably before i got to get a you know good report off yeah him. Yeah. Okay. Track four, Adam. Mm. The first song you bought from a record shop. Right. That's another... There was a little shop. It was like an electrician's, and they had a section with, like, records. That's not a thing anymore, is it? No. 
Look, yeah. All my first records I bought out of a toy shop that was also a record shop. Yeah. Even the newsagents had a sparings, had a, had a record section. All my newsagents used to have the, um, had like a kind of like little thing that you could sort of oh, spin yeah. around of all the ex-jukebox records yeah. that had the Beatles <laughs> missing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I, from that shop, I bought, um, I think, Roxy Music, Virginia Plain. Um, what a great record. Yeah. Yeah. And glam rock as well. Um, but it might have been uh, Whiskey in the Jar by Thin Lizzy. Mm-hmm. I know I bought that around that time. Um, and I also bought, there was that record Convoy, but there was a sort of British spoof version That's called right. Convoy GB, yeah. which was kind of rubbish, but I probably bought it because it was 10p or something. Yeah. But on the B-side, there was this track called Rock Is Dead, which was like an instrumental, but it just went, rock is dead, rock and roll is dead, with a kind of Moog synthesizer, right? which I found quite inspiring. <laughs> so it was a, a sort of lucky dip um, yeah. record. So, I, yeah, remember that. And then I remember the first proper album I bought, because also in Woolworths, for 50p, you could buy, like, like albums but not by the original artists yeah. and I bought an Elvis one but it doesn't really count like a tribute to Elvis yeah. sang by some session singer um, and I used to mime along to it um, but the first proper album I bought because I bought it with record tokens was Devo Are We Not Men We Are Devo Lovely. and I, that's still one in my top 10 favourite yeah. albums Produced by Brian Eno, who I mentioned already earlier. Uh, yeah, there's a bit. Of, there's quite a lot of Eno that's coming through in this whole thing, really. Uh, and then you also remember the first twelve you bought as well. Yeah, that was off a stall in the market. They had these twelve-inch. I don't think I'd ever heard of twelve-inch singles, and I was a bit like, "What's that for?" And mm. and uh, I'm sure the the one I bought was just a promotional tool I don't think it was an extended version it definitely wasn't a remix or anything mm. but it was the Ramones Baby I Love You and it was on yellow vinyl oh amazing and um, yeah. still got it? no and that's got really good strings on it too yeah dee, lovely dee, strings dee, 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 dee. yeah well I guess that come from one of the string masters wasn't it? Yeah, well, I think, wasn't it yeah he produced it didn't yeah. he that record yeah so Let's talk about record shops for a little bit, and and it kind of bring us up to, uh, to you kind of sort of starting to sort of come more into the sort of public domain with the electronic music you was making. Um, record shops, obviously, a few and far between now. But back then, were, were they? And I'm not talking about perhaps when you was buying your first records, but as you was moving in and, and maybe sort of you know finding out about some of the things that led you to make what you make. Mm. Was a record shop an important place? Yeah, yeah. I mean, there was in Southampton, which was my nearest big city, big city, I mean, nearest city, yeah. big. It seemed big when I was, like, little, but um, the Virgin Records there was where you could go and buy, you know, punk records or whatever it was, you know, underground music or interesting music and I remember buying I Am The Fly by Wire in there and I had to go and try and sing it because I'd heard it on John Peel and I 
going and uh, have you got that one that goes dum 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 even that when I was like 10 or 11 it would be like have you got that one that goes dum 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 <laughs> but they knew what I meant yeah. and I got that and uh, and uh, yeah I loved going record shopping uh, with my mates you know get the train up to Southampton and and um did you have good gang of mates that were sort of like-minded in there? Yeah, the well, like I said, that. we all bonded over two-tone initially. Mm. And then, I mean, I was sort of into punk and then I got kind of, went kind of astray with the whole two-tone thing and then sort of went back to punk and post-punk. And But then, like, at school, when I was hanging out with the girls, I was sort of, you know, I was more into the more mainstream things like human league and well even i was on i was label mates with them when i was 11 it sounds sounds mad it sounds like i'm making it up but i'm not um i've had quite a surreal life um yeah even just saying it makes me feel weird but but um, hearing but 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 then when human league went more pop yeah i loved that too i loved both incarnations of the human league i loved early depeche mode um soft sell i mean there was brilliant things used to get in the charts and 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 played on um primetime television every week like proper like misfits and you know him phil oakey with his like lopsided hair and and mascara and stiletto shoes and mark armand with his eyeliner and chains and Boy George and Marilyn and all these people, like untold, like odd, you know, just interesting people. And now they just all kind of look the same. And Completely. And and, uh, and and I know that's a, an obvious thing for for blokes that are getting older to say, yeah. but I, I do think it's correct. Hmm. I, I sat there and, and I watch YouTube videos of my kids when they're, they're watching music and... and it's not necessarily my bag, but, you know, being a, a, a DJ from way back to now, I try and sort of keep up with what's happening in music and I have mm. an interest in, you know, in new music. But to be sitting in a front room on a Thursday night mm. and to have my dad going, bloody hell, what's that? And I'm like, yeah. it's a culture club. <laughs> and like... And but the I mean I, I know you mentioned George Elliott, but the furore when yeah. he first went on top of the pops, yeah. as, and it sounds hilarious when you think of it. People legitimately going, "Is that a boy or a girl?" Well, that was next Friday at school. Like yeah. everyone was talking yeah. about it. Everyone was yeah. talking about it, and 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 that was great. And it's it was, so great. Yeah, and it was a great song that mm. still. It's not even my sort of music, really, yeah. kind of that sort of. Yeah. But it is a brilliant song. You can't say, no one can say that's not mm. a brilliant, emotive, great yeah. piece of pop music. And um, I quite like it because, you know, the version of Killer that I've done with George is, because I was going to, talking about intros, this actually starts with the new... Uh, when I said make a new chorus that's kind of like the next level yeah. chorus, it's so good that that is the intro of ah, this right. new thing. And because I've done it with Adrian, it's kind of reggae, and it's which I've just been sort of 
you know, like tapping into channeling my old two-tone roots and sort of the reggae that that led me yeah. to, which was more like 60s, early 70s, Scar and Bluebeat and sort of, you know, I'm not a massive reggae fan. You Did, uh, did you work with Lee Scratch Perry? Oh, I did, yeah, yeah, yeah about three or four years ago talking of colored beards yeah. <laughs> yeah 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 that was i went up to the swiss alps where he lives and uh i was recording i had a whole a big obsession for about five years of only making music in waltz time like one two three one two three um papa um papa and i just got the most as the kind of most diverse selection of characters that wouldn't do that to yeah. do that and it was fun. And I, I went up to the Swiss Alps and met Lee Scratch Perry. So I was wearing lederhosen. And I got really into the whole, <laughs> the, the whole like alpine umpapa yeah. waltzy thing. And um, the first thing he said to me was, man, your clothes is ugly. <laughs> and I was thinking, well, that's rich coming from a man in like a red shell suit with a yellow Afro wig and a purple beard. But it was good. Oh, you know. you'd expect nothing less no. of Lee Perry, right? And then he was just starting fires in the studio and burning things to ward off evil spirits. He, he poured lighter fuel all over my... I had to take my microphone, a USB mic with my laptop, and he poured lighter fuel over it and set fire to it. <laughs> it, st it still works, and it yeah. maybe works all the better for it because he got rid of some got evil of spirits. spirits, yeah. But, um, but yeah, it wasn't. Um, I mean, I that's it. He's just. I love all these characters in music, yeah. and it was more his whole persona and his whole sort of thing, his whole philosophy and life, and uh, than than the reggae thing. I mean, obviously, you know, he produced like Bob Marley's yeah. like most you know legendary yeah. albums that launched Bob Marley as mm. the global sort of icon that he is was and uh and lee perry's done all that stuff and and uh i just love i just love getting together with people like that and making tunes people like him people like boy george and nina hagen that's what it's so thrilling for me i'm still just as awestruck as yeah. i would be if they climbed out of my transistor radio when I was yeah. 11 and climbed out and sat on the edge of my bed and like sang me like a song yeah track five Adam yeah the song that soundtrack your years in Clubland. okay well obviously because I've been sort of in Clubland for about 35 years um that could be a whole you know, thousands of tunes and the the track that has kind of been most kind of there would be one of my own tracks because I've had to, you know, do different versions and go back to it time and time again. But that would be a, probably seem a bit arrogant and like boring to put my own track. So I just thought of a track that I've never got bored of since I first heard it, which is um, Charles B. Lack of Love. And with objectivity from that period, my favourite producer out of Chicago and that early house scene 
is Adonis, like hands down, is my favourite. I mean, I really like all of those pioneers, Marshall Jefferson and Pierre and Bam Bam and, well, there's Untold, but he, for me, oh, my favourite beats and bits that come out of that period were Ad Adonis, and that was one of his productions. I first heard that, I think it was either Fabio or Groove Rider before they started playing uh, drum and bass when they were still sort of house and techno DJs at Sunrise 5000 in Santapod um, racetrack. And that tune came on and it was just like, oh, it's just amazing. <laughs> and uh, yeah. I want to ask you then, I've never got bored of it. I just wanted to add. <laughs> <laughs> Someone that has, has probably watched every possible documentary about what that second summer of love was, was like and not ever experienced it because I was maybe a year too young. Oh. Um, and um, my kind of music taste took me down a more sort of guitar journey and I look yeah. back now and I kick myself that living on the M25 I didn't get uh -huh. to experience so much of what was going on yeah. what was it like to be slap bam in the middle of it well I can't really describe it, it was just really really exciting but for me as I was quite actively involved in all of it, it was probably more exciting but it was really exciting for everyone you could tell just carloads of people just like waving their arms out the window and laughing and screaming and nodding their heads and jumping up jumping out of cars at the side roadside and having a dance you know on the hard shoulder or in a service station that was just going on all over the place and you felt really connected to all these other people and like really felt part like part of something absolutely historic and it was you know it was a massive cultural and social shift when when mark moore come on here yeah mark said um that when he was a young punk mm. um you know if he got on a bus and there was a, a another punk sitting on there he'd go and sit next to him and they'd talk because you mm. would go and you you, mm. you wanted to be with like-minded people and yeah and do you think that that kind of coming together and that music in its very embryonic stages of, 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 of you know, people buying affordable equipment and making what they could with that, do you think that was as, as, as punk as, as what was happening in 77? Yeah, well, punk rock was really a, a kind of just a, a version of rock, rock and roll, mm. um, I suppose, and the Acid House and House and Techno was a version of disco, mm. which were to which was sort of back in the seventies. There was animosity between those mm. groups of music lovers. You know, in America, they even had the Disco Sucks movement and burning disco albums. The footage of that know. is one of the most yeah. hilariously brilliant things <laughs> I've ever seen. Yeah, well, it's what people. <laughs> Just over music, like I would, you know, I'm really embarrassed now, but I'd be introduced to people like back in 89, 90 and they go, oh, this, you know, I'm not even going to, it's so embarrassing, but I wouldn't shake someone's hand because I didn't like their music. And it's, 
how pathetic is that now like i've got now i've got like really good mates that make music that i can't stand yeah it, it just goes you know that's so like uh shallow but that you know young people that's yeah. what that it's but um i mean you couldn't really you couldn't spot a like acid house rave person as easily as yeah. you could spot a fellow punk rocker yeah. um but now you see young people and you, you just wouldn't know what they're into. It's you, very, very you weird. Couldn't, whatever music genre they're into, they don't have a sort of look that goes and with apart it. Apart from heavy metal fans. They've oh, yeah. still got their uniform. Uh, well, there's goths, but I don't know what music goths lifts into if there's still sort of goth bands like, you know, the I'm sure they the must day. be out there. They can't yeah. still be listening to Barass, surely no, not. I don't know. The Cure, <laughs> they probably still like The Cure. But I went to, I saw The Cure at Hyde Park last yeah. year uh, on one of the hottest days of the year and I can tell you, Adam, that was not good weather for goths. It, right. was, they, it was just like oh, crowds of melted candles everywhere. <laughs> they, didn't, they didn't look good, mate. Uh, I loved the uh, song Lullaby oh, beautiful. by The Cure, and that was massive in Ibiza in 89. Yeah. Well, people think, break, isn't it? Yeah, people think that, you know, Ibiza was all about you know, bang, 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 banging, like yeah. house and techno, but it wasn't back then there was it was the first place to like embrace acid house that was coming out of chicago and and stuff to maybe well apparently up north in the hacienda they embraced that but that's just a club it's not an actual whole island and it was you know but it was all sorts of such a diverse selection of music but that just had this sort of thing about it and the it Balearic stuff yeah but it was you can't really define what that was. And that, that version of Lullaby, I think it was a remix that had some sort of 808 percussion bongo sounds on it and stuff, but it was so good. It's and got some great strings on it as well. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What is, as, as a clubber, aside from a performer or a musician, what did you want from clubbing? Um... Sex. It was out and out hedonism. I won't pretend that yeah. I was just there for the music. Yeah. You know that people say it was just all about the music. Yeah. Um, I was into sex and drugs. Yeah. And really good music. I mean, yeah. the advent of like acid house was great because music was pretty boring generally. Yeah. I mean, there was, you know, there was the mid 80s the whole def jam thing that was quite exciting and i i i actually to my chagrin because people really used to take the piss but i really liked zig zig sputnik i thought i found it really inspiring like re no one else was doing anything vaguely interesting you know there were all these sort of dullards in flat caps playing jazz chords and they look wishy washy yeah and they sound it before even though i love giorgio moroder and he's one of the greatest producers ever and you know one of the like founding fathers of electro techno mm. or whatever you want to call it you know um he I think that first album of theirs was kind of overproduced. They tried to put too many ideas mm. on it and they tried so hard that it ended up sounding a bit too, try too hard and clinical. I still liked it, but because I recognised elements of 
what I saw of going to their early gigs where I just moved to London. It was like 1985 and they were just starting to get hyped and playing in smaller places, you know, and, uh, and it was just that relentless, like if you described that and someone went away and made it, they come up with acid house sort of thing. If they mm. didn't get what you meant, yeah. like, you know, two note bass lines kind of what, what do you call it what do they call repetitive mm. um sort of hypnotic with echoey vocals and mad sound effects that's what acid house kind yeah. of was it wasn't like anything like zig zig sputnik the mood of it or the sort of the inf you know that their zig zig sputnik took a lot from like suicide mm. the the first real, really electronic band who who even Kraftwerk. Kraftwerk were a hippie band mm. and then they heard Suicide's first album and they were like, fuck it. Mm. Like, fuck it. They, they mm. want to <laughs> become completely electronic. I saw, I saw Suicide about six, seven years ago. Mm. I, I went to see Nick Cave. No, it was Grinder Man actually. I went to see Grinder, Nick Cave's Grindr band, Grinder Man. And I walked in and literally the minute I opened the doors, I was like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> and it was full on techno. Yeah. And I was, it was just like this kind of old guy in this weird sort of puffer jacket. <laughs> and I was like, and after about 10 minutes, I thought, this is fucking suicide. Yeah. It took me a while. And yeah. the, it, the onslaught of noise when that door opened and I've seen some fucking loud bands, but nothing... Smack me round the chops as walking See, into that suicide show. They were show. doing that in 1973 and terming it, it as punk music. Yeah. And even all the rock bands hated them. Everyone mm. hated them. I saw them in Camden Palace in 86 and I had an epiphany. It was like, I, I knew about them anyway, yeah. but it, like seeing them do that in, in, I think they had one of those sort of gold sort of curtains, like yeah. a cabaret. Yeah. And, and I saw Divine there the same year, and uh, it was the same thing. And just realising that you don't need some sweaty band, you know. It, it's yeah. about the noise that, and, yeah. you know, Divine doesn't need anyone else to make, to fill the stage yeah. out and make it didn't, rather. Yeah. And, and uh, well talking about that i remember what was really exciting at school as well as in the 80s as well as like saying is it a boy or a girl about boy george was like when bands started to have a reel-to-reel -reel tape recorder instead of a drummer yeah which the human league soft cell and depeche mode mm. and they were sort of like yeah um Wicked. Well, we didn't say wicked. Oh, God, I can't remember. Ace. They're like, did you see that? They didn't have a drummer. They yeah. just had this big tape machine. Yeah. And now you could get better drums, sounds coming out of your phone. But yeah, it, it's crazy. It just looked it? great, like having this big reel-to-reel -reel yeah. tape thing. And just, I mean, pop music evolved so quickly. That was only like a couple of decades after the first wave of pop music. Um, yeah. Elvis and Little Richard and all that lot. And when you, you think know. how quickly the last 20 years has gone mm. and, and you, you, know, you see what genres have happened in, in the last 20, when you think of, like, like you say, from like Elvis to, to say, Depeche Mode mm. and what went on in between that, mm. fucking crazy. Yeah. Like, and that's not that big a time scale yeah. when you... You, know, when you, you look you, at the time span between, like... 
greatest Led Zeppelin album and the Sex Pistols yeah. album. It's only like four years. It's crazy. Like things just yeah. really just... And in the 80s at school, there was just something new and exciting every six weeks, yeah. really. Whether it was psychobilly or electro street sounds, yeah. electro albums yeah. or all sorts of yeah. trannies oh, you yeah. can't say that anymore yeah. <laughs> actually even George t- told me off for saying tranny <laughs> I said are you still allowed to say that and he's like no <laughs> but I just said it <laughs> track six Adam a favourite song from an artist from your home county okay well that would be I've already had um, Ernie by Benny Hill because <laughs> he's from Southampton so Artful Dodger uh, think Think About Me. Okay. Um, which I'm talking about my waltz time, three, four obsession, one, two, three, one, two, yeah. three. That's a, a garage record, but that's actually made in that time signature. Oh, really? Which is very rare and very clever, and it's a beautiful song. And um, hats off to my fellow Hampshireans, <laughs> the Artful Dodger. Have you met him? No, actually not. No, I've exchanged a few messages on Messenger or something. Because it's like the Artful Dodger and the real Artful Dodger. I think that there's, something's happened there. Oh. And there's, there, there's, there must be some sort of thing because there, there's, there's two versions. Uh, oh, okay. I don't know the, the backstory to it. That's like uh, the beat. Uh, there's like three versions yeah, of the beat. Yeah. The, the English beat, the beat. That's like, it. So-and-so's the beat and uh, all that. Um. And there was one more, mm-hmm. Trogs. Oh, yeah, the Trogs are also from Hampshire. Yeah. But, um, I, and, and Wild Thing is a great record and one of the thing would have been one of the first things I learned to play on the guitar. I think it, well, anyone in, back then, in, you know, when you're... It's the first thing I learned to play on the guitar. Is it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when you're sort of, yeah, of a certain age, you yeah. know, that's, that would be... The thing you first learned to play, and it's just a brilliant sort of proto-punk record. Um, just brilliant attitude and everything. And uh, I was quite thrilled to discover that they also from my home county. But really, as a record that I don't know, both of them really, Artful Dodger and the Trogs. Uh, or do I have to actually pick? No, one? no, 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 not at all, not at all. Are you going to play that? You're going to yeah. So what I do is um, I have a Spotify playlist that runs alongside it, oh, okay. so you can listen oh, to great. the whole playlist. So with uh, the Benny Hill one, I found two versions. He okay. must have remade it, and there's one that sounds much better. The strings, you hit it, just sounds more classy. And then I think he must have remade it for an album a few years later yeah. but I want the proper I never thought I'd be doing this podcast and be having a discussion with <laughs> Adamski about a definitive version of Ernie the Fastest Milkman <laughs> fucking hell well, well, I also <laughs> wanted to say that I was sad because Ernie died but that's because the other the rival milkman threw a pork pie at him <laughs> and he died but now now I'm a vegan I think he fucking deserved to die there you go yeah. there you go <laughs> Fuck oh, him brilliant. and his cow pass. <laughs> <laughs> oh, last track, Adam. Yeah. Uh, the song that many may not know that you would like them to hear. Yeah. Um, I don't know why I love this song. I do love the movie, right. but Silent Running. It's an amazing movie. 
and quite pertinent about it's you know about the last bits of vegetation from the planet in these domes flying around the universe with these sort of hippie guys looking after it with some robots Huey, Dewey and Louie the little robots mm. looking up and you know and they're and they're told you know that it's the last few trees and flowers left from planet earth and this song at the end by Joan Baez who's a kind of folk singer from Bob Dylan times sort of mm-hmm. I think she's still active and she is beautiful voice actually mm-hmm. and um you know I mean if I had been a young man in the 1960s I would have I would have you know look she looked she's quite beautiful fit, yeah gorgeous mm. um but um and uh, this beautiful song, Silent Running, the theme song of that film, it's um, beautiful. Yeah. Has it got strings? It has. Yeah, she's done uh, two, yeah. There's two tracks dee, on dee, there. Dee, yeah. Dee, 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 dee. <laughs> yeah, everything I've picked's got yeah. nice, apart from uh, Lack of Love. Yeah. Even that's got that yep. thing at the beginning. So I don't know if it's a string. So at some point, are we going to get like uh, uh, the... the Adamski curates like the, the London Philharmonic doing your uh, your back catalogue. Oh, I'm a bit bored of all those people that's what, doing That's one this. thing I wanted to uh, talk to you about just before we finish. And and because there's so much stuff like that. Mm. Um, and I just want to know what your stance is. And I also want to get it sort of... Because you mentioned earlier like that you may have been a little bit pretentious when you were younger and wouldn't shake someone's hand because you didn't like their music and things mm. like that. What's your view on nostalgia? Um, it's changed. I've got really into it. I've just been so, oh God, why can't people do something new? Why can't be? And then I'm like, actually, it's the culture now. That's, I mean, younger people that they're, it's, they're born into a world that's like awash with tribute bands and people playing their classic albums in their entirety and stuff i couldn't do that because i haven't got the gear and i just i would find it really boring but i've loved getting the synth i made killer on getting the parts messing around with them kind of getting updated new angles on the song all that i've actually just really enjoyed it and i can I can sort of close my eyes and be back in those parties and I'm so grateful to have, yeah, to have experienced it. I can sort of tap into that when I'm in the studio or or likewise I can tap into seeing the cramps at Hammersmith Palais in 1984. I've just, I love nostalgia now I realise and, um, but, um, I do, all these orchestrated versions of things it's like I really loved the fact that they came out of a box when I played at um, this biology rave in 89 I forget which bit of the M25 it was off but it was the first like rave in an open air field and I got back to London on the Sunday evening and the Sunday pa- the party was still going on yeah. but the news of the world was out with the front page right. like and it was like, it called it mindless machine music. And I was so proud. I was, I was just thinking, that's me. <laughs> and, uh, and, and 
I don't really want to hear like people doing it all properly with yeah. orchestras and that's what I loved about it. Yeah. It was coming out of boxes and it yeah. was like the soundtrack of the times. Like and he, likewise I went to see Public Enemy like a few I don't know, three years ago or something. They did these gigs for like a hundred people where they would play only for a hundred people. That's what I just said. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, and uh, they, they, what was great about them in the 80s, it was like revolutionary that they could fill out a big venue and just have a DJ there and a couple of rappers and those guys, their security guards mm -hmm. in the military uniforms. And it was, it was enough and it was amazing. And then they did this thing and they had drums and bass and guitar and that it did it just made it sound all kind of messy yeah and, and and no disrespect either to the prodigy but like all their music that it sounds great because it was made in samplers and loops and beats and and then it kind of dilutes it when i think I don't know, but I get the feeling that they have to have a drummer and a guitar player just to f playing big festival stages. They have to sort of fill it out to, you know, uh, to please their audiences. Mm. Or, but encouragingly, I saw on telly the other day Deantwood playing at Download Festival, which was a heavy metal festival, and they just had a DJ and yeah. her and him and a couple of dancers yeah. and I thought how refreshing and all the heavy metal people were jumping up and down going nuts yeah and they I mean I remember supporting big audio dynamite in the 80s and people were like moaning it's not proper music because I was just standing there yeah. pressing buttons and I wasn't like yeah. all sweaty and like <laughs> I don't know like who cares about I love, you know. But going back to to, to, to crads and, 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 and not getting any and things like that, then again, it goes back to the revolutionary mindset of Chuck D to then get Amphrax in 1988 and go, right, we're going on tour together. Oh, let's yeah. make a record together and then yeah, let's yeah, tour. Yeah, yeah. Amphrax and Public Enemy touring together. It's yeah. amazing. Yeah. Like, you know, absolutely brilliant. Right, so we know that next year is the 30th anniversary killer. Yeah. This year? 30th anniversary of Energy. Okay. So... ADHD NRG yeah. on well, Spotify. Yeah, well, there's seven different versions under the banner of Re-Energize. Yeah. Uh, and they're called Energy Spot, ADHD Energy, uh, Bad Energy, various sort of plays on yeah, 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 the yeah, title Energy anyway. And there's, we're on number three this week, I think. And they're leading up to the seventh one, which will have a video and all that sort of thing as well, called Energy Boost. Excellent. And uh, they're just, you know, I've just sampled things. And it, it, they're not remixes. Yeah. They're like, I've just taken that riff and just um, seen what I can do with yeah. it, really. Live shows? Going to do some live stuff? Um, no, but if, well, actually I am. I'm playing in Manchester sometime soon. I'm, I'm, oh, Mrs. keeps my diary. Um, 
I don't really know what I'm yeah. doing from one day to the next. DJing? DJing around, yeah. I'm playing in the Saatchi Gallery, actually, on Saturday. Nice. It's the last day of they've had this exhibition. Um, uh, Sweet Harmony exhibition. Oh, right, you're playing that? The rave thing, right, yeah, for yeah. the last for the last day of that um, on Saturday, which is a great exhibition. Um, Do you know what time you're DJing? Mid-afternoon on Saturday. Oh, yeah. okay. It's interesting. Yeah. Um, and uh, what events? I don't know. I don't know. I but see yeah. you're doing one of the um, old-school indie sort of uh, festivals. Ah, that down in... Minehead? Yeah. Or something like that? Shine? Yeah. Did I uh, see you was on the lineup for that? I yes, I, I am, yeah. 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 I can't remember if I'm DJing or playing live. One or the other. Yeah. Oh, brilliant. <laughs> Adam, thank you so much for chatting, mate. All right then, Stu. It's my pleasure. There you have it. End of the episode. Adam was an absolute joy to sit and spend some time with, chat music. Um, after we finished, he hung around and he recorded uh, the Person First podcast. So that's also available, um, which is less based around the music and more more about well I guess that the clue is in the title the person first um so if you want to hear more from Adam and kind of get to to know more about Adam than than the music side of things then um I would suggest kind of giving that a listen um I'm back next week with another episode thank you ever so much for listening please if you see it on the social medias go like love share retweet let's get the word out there please subscribe um if you like this go and have a look in the back catalogue because if you like hearing musicians talking about the creative process and, and the songs that have shaped them, then there is a huge stack of people in the back catalogue. I'm not going to list them. I'm going to just say go and have a look because there's too many to note. I'll see you next time once more. Thanks ever so much for listening. Bye-bye. Oh, yeah. Sorry. I've butted in yet again. I just want to quickly tell you about this magazine. It's called Pod Bible. Now, Pod Bible is the new essential guide to podcasts. It's put together alongside Spotify and Acast, and it's a one-stop shop to tell you all about the podcasts you maybe know about, but definitely about a load of the podcasts that you probably don't know about that we think you should know about. I mean, in the first edition, there's interviews with Adam Buxton, interviews with Craig Parkinson, um, there's features on Jade Adams, and there's just an abundance of information about so many exciting podcasts that are out there. Also, Spotify have given us these amazing little codes. So if you do get a print copy, you can just turn on your Spotify on your phone, scan the little code, and it just automatically opens up the podcast on your listening device. How good's that? If you haven't managed to get a print copy, then just go over to www.podbiblemag.com and read it online because the digital version is all over there and it's all free so every other month there'll be a new edition out so go and have a look and support us on the social medias as well podbiblemag.com it's off the beat and track podcast on the distraction pieces network with me stew with him Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. 
But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you.